0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: Any times that you have broken relationships, whether it's with uh, someone of the opposite sex that you're in love with, or even somebody that you have a deep friendship with that's gone south. I mean, they pop to mind and there's that sting that's still there. And, uh, and I, I don't know uh, how to fix that other than this idea of a new creation. Mm-hmm. That we're like just this idea that we're this next version of us. And I want to be the next humblest version of Bob. And that can involve saying I'm sorry to some people that I've let down or hurt along the way or, and not demanding. And I'm sorry from somebody else who's either let me or you down or broken our hearts, but to just realize that they're wounded and just trying to make their way forward, just like we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably where that compassion goes. It's easy to do that when you've been loved. Well, Um, I think if you've been, if you've experienced, I mean, we're all amateurs at loving each other. But if you've experienced somebody who's played in the major leagues and has loved you well, then that's somebody. Oh, Don Miller. He's one of the guys that uh, is in that category for me. He's loved me well. And because he's loved me well, maybe some of the people I've let down relationally, um, I can – forgive myself maybe I can find the courage to ask for forgiveness Um, I think on our last day here on earth I don't know if it'll be in a bed in a field I don't know but on our last few moments there's room for about eight people around you nine if they're thin uh, so what I've tried to do is think who would the eight people I'd want around my bed be
2: Bob, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Hey, thanks a million. It's good to be with you.
2: Yeah. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to have you here. You know, uh, as I was telling you right before we hit record, uh, I I came across your work uh, when I was going through a a difficult breakup. You know, you wrote a book called Love Does. So naturally, in those moments, all you're doing is searching for answers. And your book was one of those places where I started to find some of them. So uh, on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your background, your journey, and how it has. Led to sort of this multi hyphenate career of yours as an author, a nonprofit founder, and an attorney.
1: Yeah, I uh, uh, I don't know where to start, but my <laughs> um, uh, kind of it'd be easier to start kind of in the middle. Like I practiced law for a bunch of years, I think twenty eight years. Uh-huh. Uh, but at some point, I was just thinking, you know, if there's more than. This And I think everybody comes to that, whether you're working at Arby's or a lawyer, doctor, or the person down the street. You, know, you just think that there might be, this might be something I'm able to do, but what is it that I'm made to do? Um, and that's when I, I started kind of looking towards um, this idea of whimsy, mm-hmm. the idea of like taking some creativity and just going and doing things with the people I'm certain about. And that was my family. So I'm married to sweet Maria. We've been married for 29 years and six days and, uh, that, uh, we have three great kids and we just decided to just start doing things together and, uh, and writing those things down. And what has led to is this, uh, fun adventure and it continues to unfold. I mean, I just, one of the things that you may know about me, I quit something every single Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I just give something the boot and, uh, And so uh, a year and a week ago, I walked into my law firm that I'd had for almost three decades. And I said, we're done. Wow. And They're like, with what? I'm like, with all of this, like we're just done. So we got everybody jobs, but the uh, we just sold the file cabinets and closed it down. And one of the things that's been a theme throughout all this is moving from what you're able to do to what you're made to do. Mm -hmm. So I am able to do law, but this idea of like, am I made to do that? And it wasn't that the time that I did, it was wasted. I I love justice. I was a great living, but just feel like this thing, this, there's something more oh, get this, I'm able to play the banjo. (laughs) But if if you heard me hack my way through Foggy Mountain Breakdown, you'd say like, buddy, you were not made to do that, right? Uh So I'm just thinking, what are a couple of things that I'm made to do? And then I've been trying to lean into that. And so that's taken me on a couple of these adventures and I've jotted some of those down and ran it through spell check and called it Love Does.
2: (laughs) All right, well, we're going to do a much deeper dive uh, into all of that. Uh, you know, one of the things I want to do is something that I like to do with everybody and is to, to look back uh, sort of at growing up adolescence and look at sort of formative experiences and inflection points that would ultimately lead you down this path. And what were they and, and you know, how did they impact your life?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Now, I would say one of the most influential couples in my life were my grandparents and my uh, grandfather was a fireman who worked as a longshoreman in san francisco on the bay and in his whole career as a fireman he never put out a fire (laughs) isn't that awesome he worked the graveyard shift and i guess nothing caught on fire after midnight so uh he and then my uh grandmother was a switchboard operator she never got a driver's license she just by anybody's view from the outside just very modest humble people and uh, they didn't have a lot of wealth but they were so wealthy in life and in experiences and I don't know how many polywogs she and I caught just to see if they still grew legs uh, but she was just full of wonder and curiosity about everything and i think that probably shaped me as a young person the most somebody that would just be curious about everything and i i'm still that way today mm. i just want to know everything i want to know like i don't want to know the guy that owns dip and dots cuz he probably lives in chicago with a suit but the guy that invented dip and dots mm. you know like that and so instead of just being curious about it and say wouldn't that be swell to take the next step. And I think I learned that at a really young age from my grandmother because she was just always like the next adventure was about five minutes away. And I love that about her. And so I feel like that's probably continued. I'll tell you a great story. Just even from today, there's this young person that wanted to get into law school in the worst way. And and. Oh, she we just got her in. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got the call. That's why it was late to jo- join in with you. Mm-hmm. We got the call. She's in. That idea of having 10 things going on at once is just permeating my life. And it all comes back to my grandmother who had 20 things at once going on. Wow.
2: You know, one of the things that, that is always really interesting to me is that we tend to lose this sense of wonder as, as we get older. And, you know, you watch a kid And they're just filled with it. And you seem to have maintained it throughout your life. So I have two questions uh, that come from that. One is how we bring it back in adult life. And I've asked people this question in some form or another. And then how is it manifested in your own life, like externally?
1: Yeah, the uh, faith is a big deal for me. Um, But uh, when some people came to Jesus early on, they said, like, so, you know, who's the big shot here? Who's the biggest guy? And he said, unless you change and become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And that makes so much. There's a lot of stuff that I don't understand that I understand. A childlike approach to life, Hmm. not childish, because that's like natural for guys, but childlike. Instead of making it the most complicated thing, make it the simplest thing, like to just say uh, in the smallest ways to be. Engaged in that idea of, uh, you know, I don't think we lose our uh, uh, our zest for life. We lose our imagination, and then we end up uh, saying, "How did we get here?" So, for instance. One of the things that I do every Wednesday is I go to Tom Sawyer Island at Disneyland. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I I teach at Pepperdine at their uh, law school, and they say you have to have office hours if you teach there. So they don't say where. So I'm like, I'm having mine at Tom Sawyer Island. So every Wednesday from 10 to 2, you ought to come hang out with me.
2: I think I'm going to take you up on that.
1: I know, right? I (laughs) I tell those students, if you've got a good question and 65 bucks, come and see me. So that idea though, like I don't go there to go on the rides. Uh-huh. I just go there because it's a beautiful place to meet people. Cause it's about location, 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 like having the right conversation at the right place. If you have the right conversation at the wrong place, you just had the wrong conversation. So I'd like to have the right conversations with people at the right places. And, and so I've, um, I think that sense of wonder has been something that I've tried to keep really, really fresh and just surround myself with people that are curious about things as well. And it's kind of contagious. You know, if you told me the things that you were up to, I'd probably want to do half of them with you. I'd say like, (laughs) well, can I come?
2: (laughs) Well, if you surf, we should get out and surf together.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Board meeting. Yeah. We just went yesterday. Their surf isn't very good here in San Diego, but it's it's uh, not very good on the entire coast right now. (laughs) But what if you just say something like that? There were nine guys that jumped Uh in their mom's suburban, uh, maybe six months ago And they called up and they said, we're on our way to surf with you. (laughs) And they drove from Dallas and they ended up in San Diego. They didn't have nine surfboards. So we like rustled those up and we just went surfing together. What if you just like, instead of thinking of things as interruptions to our life, to think of those as additions to our life. So instead of having this big plan, Uh one of the things that I quit on Thursday was making appointments Right. I just don't make appointments with people. If people want to meet, I just say like, OK, they just come on over. But and if someone else is here meeting, then three of us meet. So I, I just found that having a planned scheduled life was stealing away that childlike faith hmm. and people that are curious, they're curious about. Uh, their marriages, they're curious about their children, they're curious about their faith, they're curious about you know, life. And those are the people that I want to surround myself with.
2: Okay. I love this. Um, and I knew I would enjoy talking to you just from reading your books and knowing what I knew about you. But this idea that you don't have this planned, scheduled life, but then you've accomplished all these things. Like you've been a nonprofit founder, you've been an attorney. I mean, how do you, how do you manage those things? And I, I'd love for you to talk about the nonprofit work you do just so people can kind of get familiar with you know, what that's all about.
1: Yeah, just a, a second on that. There's a an outfit, and it, does, it doesn't even matter. It's called Restore International, but a guy, God doesn't need another organization. <laughs> he just needs He just needs a bunch of willing, humble people, right, to help him out. Uh-huh. And he doesn't need any help either. He just wants us to figure out who we are, uh, and as we do things, you figure out more about yourself. So there's this outfit, and we started in India. I think it must have been 14 or 15 years ago totally wrecked my career. It's cost me millions because I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. I'm like, we started going into quarries and finding these bonded laborers that were duped into thinking they owed these Mutalolis who are the, uh, slave traders, uh, fake debt for 35 bucks. And so then they'd work for a nickel a day and I'm like, this is nuts. And so we started doing things there and then young girls and horrible circumstances there. And the next country we ended up in was in Uganda. And I was thinking, you know, I'm a lawyer. What if I head to the courthouse? Mm. And Uganda at the time was in the middle of this huge civil war. And uh, so I just found the the judge that had the most machine guns out in front of his office. And uh, it turned out it was the chief justice of their Supreme Court. And he ended up over years and years just being a friend. And we've, we've tried to just do what we can in Uganda. Like we've, I had a stupid website one time that said, uh, as relating to the school we've got there, like changing a generation of Ugandans. And I'm like, I had to just get real with that and saying, you know, I got 300 kids and probably a hundred of them don't even want to be there. Like I'm not changing a generation. I'm just doing what I can. Mm. So in Uganda, we're trying to do what we can. We took the money from this book and we built a, School on 50 acres. I think they just finished the 29th building there. And uh, we've kind of wrapped up that project. And we started a year ago in Somalia. We started a school for little girls. And they won't teach these little girls how to read or write because they're girls. I'm like, forget that. So we we started this school there. And uh, that was up and running. So six months ago, we started a school in northern Iraq and uh and we've got a hundred and forty kids at that school right now, so it's just been really fun. so that wow. uh, some people have a plan, and that's terrific. If that's how you came from the factory, like, <laughs> go go do that. No, really, I'm not making fun of that. That's terrific. I'm super thankful for people that have. Uh, that approach to life but for me it will be like god doesn't pass me notes i think he passes me friends like uh-huh. you're a new friend and, and so you meet these friends and you say well what if we go do something for somebody well, just go be helpful mm-hmm. instead of thinking you're going to change a generation and make it about you what if you not make it about you not make it about these organizations just go be helpful so that's it. I've got business cards. That's all they say. Helpful. <laughs> that's it. And the the return address is on Tom Sawyer Island at a Disneyland. Nobody's going to write me a letter anyway. But like, what if we just approach this thing with curiosity, a humble spirit, and just a desire to be helpful?
2: Wow. Uh- you know, One of the questions I have for you, and I asked Don this question, um, but I think your perspective on it will probably be a little bit different because of, of what you've seen. I mean, you've seen extreme poverty up close uh, that most of us probably don't really even have any concept of when we're listening to this, especially in the developed world. What I'm interested in is how that shapes your perspective or has changed your perspective on money and wealth.
1: Yeah, this, uh, like, uh, you know, I realized in flipping through Uh, these words that mean so much to me that I'm the guy in every single parable that Jesus talked about. (laughs) I'm just the wrong guy. Like, you know, I'm the wealthy guy. I'm the rich young ruler, except I'm an old guy. Um, And so what i decided to do is to say, what if we think of this stuff as ours more than mine? And not in a communal way, but to just say the... Um, We're caretakers of these things. I have a place up in Canada, and we uh, invite people who are shaping culture up there. We also bring leaders from different countries that are mad at each other up there. And uh, I'm perfectly qualified because I'm nobody. Like if you're Colin Powell, you couldn't pull that off because you're a big shot. But Mm -hmm. if you're just Bob, (laughs) anybody will go hang out with just Bob. Uh, particularly if you don't have an agenda. The agenda is just love people. So what I've tried to do, I've I've made money as a lawyer, but I've just thought, what if we just say, it isn't about accumulating stuff. It's about, and that's so retread, but actually kind of doing that. So I've just constantly, that's one of the things, oh, three or four months ago, you know what I quit? My car. (laughs) We sold them all. Like we just, and so I just, and I'm not trying to go green. I'm trying to just like, I'm just saying I don't need all this stuff. I'm trying to learn about dependence more and asking somebody for a ride and all that. And I could probably scrape together enough for a Hyundai, but I'm like I just – we don't need all this stuff. So for me, this idea of wealth, it just becomes a a distraction and at the point that it does, uh, it's time to do something. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and to not make a big deal about it, just make all these, what was the guys headed to the moon? Did not they say, how did you get there? And they said like a thousand small changes. Yeah. So that would be me like a little mid course corrections, a thousand of those. Um, you know, it's, it's
2: interesting. Uh, when I hear you say that the cynic in me immediately goes to, yeah, well, Bob, that's easy for you to say. And then the optimist in me says, "Yeah, absolutely. It's it's when we're you know operating from that place uh, that money and wealth tend not to matter." I don't remember who it was. somebody had said a quote said, "You know, when uh, you have money, you know, it doesn't bother you. It's like oxygen uh, until you're deprived of it, you don't really th- notice its absence."
1: Yeah, yeah, good words. I think they, there's something that uh, uh, when we try to uh, break down a big um things in our mind. I don't want to say issues, but just like big topics in our mind into elevator speeches. Like mm-hmm. that it, it's so much more nuanced than that. So what do you do with what you've got? And I saw I've seen people around me as you have doing beautiful things with what they've got. And so it's like, so what are you going to do with what you got? Um, and I hope beautiful things and it isn't cause God needs a hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he doesn't need the cash. I think he needs humble people. And so what I'm, I have a bigger problem than, uh, you know, money kinds of things. Uh, I have a problem with being prideful. Like that's where, like, that's the thing that can sneak up on me. Mm-hmm. So I'm just constantly trying to remind myself every time I want to be right I think like all of heaven is hoping I'll just be humble, mm-hmm. you know. Like people ask you, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And and there's so many people that are so interested in being right about this, and and I just don't know. I just I've spent my whole career being right. I mean, even when I'm wrong, I think I'm right because I'm a lawyer. But I just like say I just want to be humble, and uh, and so when people say something kind of janky to me, and I go like, I don't know about that I just try to be humble I actually slip out of my shoes now you know what's crazy try that next time you're in a uh, somebody wants like, go to go toe to toe with you and I'm a pretty hard guy to not get along with but every once in a while somebody will want to kind of get my grill about something literally just take off your shoes It's awesome. (laughs) You'll literally you'll have a different conversation, and it's not because you're stinking them out. I mean, you are, but like you'll just it'll remind you. Even over the phone, just slip out of your shoes. You'll have you'll be more humble, and you'll actually hear them. You'll hear not this big issue. You'll see people, and people have names, and uh, and they have their stuff. And I'm no psychologist, but just being a little bit more compassionate has been. A good thing. So that's a long way around the bush about finances stuff. But it's like everybody's got what they got, uh-huh. and so what are you going to do with what you got? Hmm. Um, and we're trying to do some good.
2: All right, uh, I want to talk uh, about love, mainly because that's what drew me into your work. Speaking with you, mentioned that you've been married for twenty six years. And I'm just really interested in your entire perspective on love and, and, you know, what it means and, you know, how we sustain it and
1: how we have more of it in our lives. Yeah. 29 years, seven days. Sorry. Love that girl. Yeah. I just And uh, it all started by pursuing this uh, gal, uh, Sweet Maria. Man, she walked in the room one day and I'm like, yes, you will be mine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I assumed we were dating because she was in the room. And, uh, but she didn't want to have anything to do with me. And that's one of those things that we all have to deal with at some point. Like, what do you do when you want like a relationship more than somebody else wants a relationship? And, and so, uh, I just was tried to be like that guy, tried to not be creepy, but persistent. And, uh, and so I, I don't know if you remember, but every single morning I would make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I'd put it under the windshield Uh, windshield wiper of her car. And I I was just like sandwich stalking her. And there was something really beautiful that came out of that. I think she realized that this guy really means it. And I think that's probably that combination of whimsy and tenacity and all that. And the, uh, and I think that's where all those come together is where love starts emerging. So eventually, she gave in. Like she said, she'd go out on a date with me, and I wanted to propose to her. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I'd wait till the second or third date, and uh, and then finally, I got out. I I remember. I thought you know she was going to say yes. I got this diamond ring, and we went to this little place, and I took a knee, and I got out. Maria, will you? And then I started crying. I'm emotionally incontinent, which is really a problem if you're a trial lawyer. So I just started—I started crying, and she leaned forward and she said, "Marry me." And she's been finishing my sentences ever since then. So what if we think of this idea that we bring what we've got, and you bring all of your passion and creativity, and then uh, not let that fire leave after 29 years, uh, just remembering. Like constantly, and it won't be the big thing. She doesn't want a Porsche. She doesn't have a car either. <laughs> so, what we? Uh, I give that girl daisies, and I have never given her a daisy with more than three petals left on it. Right, <laughs> and she pulls them off. She's like, "He loves me. He loves me now. He loves me." <laughs> it's all about where you start, but. What if you just think it isn't again a money thing? It's a that's whimsy. That's saying, what if we go there together? What if we do this together? And we're very, very different people. Like Maria is very, very shy. You wouldn't know if you met her, but she's like super, super shy. Like rounding up, she's come to a total of zero things I've spoken at. (laughs) (laughs) But she's just like, uh, she's just really uh, loves, loves people, but she isn't going to be the one that's out in front. and, And she just knows she loves her family. It's me, Lindsay, Richard, Adam, and this dog I don't want. Like that's her whole world right there. She loves him, And you know what I do, which has kind of been a fun thing for years and years. She drops me off every morning at 530 at the airport and I go somewhere. And I'd say 90% of the time, uh, I don't, she didn't know where I'm going. Uh, cause, and it's not because it's a secret. It's just she didn't think to ask and I didn't think to tell her. But when people ask her, where's Bob? She always says he's on his way home. Because I usually get home at night, and even if it's at 11 at night and she drops me off the next morning, I just get home. And I don't know why we got on that cadence, but I don't know. I really like her. (laughs) We just like being together. So it's one of those must-be-present-to-win things. What if we say we just want to be present in the relationships that we have uh, rather than efficient in the way that we love one another? So I flew, I don't know, a million miles last year Mm -hmm. because I just – I don't mind eating peanuts and returning emails on the plane. And I know who's waiting at the other end, and it's sweet Maria. And even if we just are together for several hours, then we'll go to the next thing, and she knows I'm on my way home. And she doesn't ask, and um, there's something beautiful about that. It isn't like she's standing there with a rolling pin waiting for me to get home. She's just like, we just know we want to be together. And if we could – do that. I don't know if there's steps. I think relationships involve ramps Uh a little bit more. I had a building here in San Diego and they said I had to put these ramps in. And it was this beautiful old Victorian building. And I kind of didn't want to put the ramps in because the steps looked so nice. And I thought like, bingo, that's it. We keep giving people steps and they're not accessible. Like I just for everybody. So what if he just build these like on ramps for everybody and say each in our own way, just love people. And you know what I'm learning the most about love kind of current events hmm. is it's easy to love the people that are nice guys like you, you'd be easy guy to love. right? <laughs> but, but here's the deal. I'm trying to love people who creep me out like people. I don't understand right. like people that have different views of things. What if we're instead of telling them they're wrong, Just get to know them or instead of shouting at people and you don't even know their name. So what I do is if I don't know anybody's name, I just don't say anything. I like, I I won't say anything but affirmation until I get to know their name. And then once I know their name, I don't give them all these words of correction. I actually found myself doing that a little bit several years ago where I was correcting people. I said, Oh, you got this wrong. You got this wrong. You got this wrong. And like, Oh, you don't understand. And I was in lawyer mode. And I realized, you know, we need a lot more people that just love each other, not correcting each other. And the only thing I could do to snap me out of this knee jerk reaction, I do you have a little app on your phone where you can transfer money in your bank account.
2: I'm pretty sure I do. One yeah, or two yeah. of them.
1: I've got one of those. I literally give away $500 per word for every word of correction, literally <laughs> 500 bucks. So like somebody who said something kind of snarky to me and I said something back to him and I shouldn't have, I was correct. I was right, but I wasn't humble. And I just gave away 1500 bucks, wow. <laughs> three of the most expensive words I could have said. And I. so each time I just say, would I rather go to Maui or would I rather like just correct this person, uh-huh. like be another guy who's just a little bit more right. And uh, so I'm just, I'm working on that. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm working on this idea that loving people involves a lot more compassion and a lot less words of correction.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello?
2: it's funny because I, I knew I was going to ask you about love and the, the one question that I, I the, the one passage from the book that I ended up highlighting and grabbing was this. The first time I wanted someone to care for me, as much as I cared for her, she picked someone else and I tried to talk her out of it. If I had been successful, I wouldn't have experienced love in the unique way that I have. And that stood out to me so much. And I, I just wanted to ask you about that and ask you about the story that that stemmed from.
1: Yeah, this was, a, I think back in high school, I had, I think I've only had like one other girlfriend <laughs> and when uh, it was in high school and this gal that, oh, I was just over the moon for her, and she's really terrific. Um, but I moved up to Humboldt State because I was going to be a forest stranger and go like save like redwood trees and uh, she went down to another big school in Southern California and then I got this Dear Bob letter it said I'm you know romantically involved with this other person oh and I was just shattered I'm like no like my whole life as brief as it was like flashed before me and I got in my stupid little Volkswagen and I drove for 20 hours to get down to where this terrific gal was and and so she was at a sorority and i pulled up my car and i saw these greek letters out in front And i remember that was the one and so i knocked on these doors kind of like the doors to the wizard of oz you know i knocked on the doors and there was this long wait and nobody came to the door and i was about to leave and then i heard the, heard the footfall of this person coming and the door opens and it's her The whole sorority was empty. She's the only one there. And she looked pretty surprised because this guy she just said, you know, I'm done with you, is now standing at her door. And so she like nervously invites me in to this, uh, you know, entryway of the sorority, which is bigger than my house. And uh, I remember looking to my right and there was a fireplace and there was this bust of like, I don't know if it was Mozart or somebody. I remember this bronze bust there and she whisked me through the entryway and this quick little tour and she's talking fast and she whisked me out to say, well, you know, I got to go to class. And when I walked through the entryway, I looked over and I remember the bust was gone. And I thought that was like, like, so many things are happening. I didn't really register. And you know what? It turned out that she was there with her boyfriend on the couch, like kissing or something when I knocked on the door. And I just, I put my tail between my legs and drove all the way back to my four stranger buddies and, I just thought my life was over and I really set out to talk her into loving me. And I realized now, and she's gone on to do beautiful things with her life, but I just realized that there was something that was better and more beautiful that was out there. That wasn't a wrong thing. It was just like... And, and some people talk about, like, God told me this, God told me that. I've never had one conversation with God. I keep asking him, like, <laughs> give me a, a word, a pair, let me buy a vowel, like anything. And I really think that what I've learned is that it's people and places. It's people that we've met, some of the places we've been that ping us and that, that teach us uh, a lot of what he has for us. And so where I tried to force that one, I realized I just need to let that go. And then uh, a number of years later Maria pops into my life and man, I just can't imagine life without that girl. She's just uh, anything I'm good at I always tell people it's because she's twice as good at it. Let me ask you this
2: Did it hurt for an extended period of
1: time? Yeah, it really stung Like any times that you have broken relationships Whether it's with uh, someone of the opposite sex That you're in love with Or even somebody that you have a deep friendship with That's gone south I mean, they pop to mind And there's that sting that's still there And, uh, and I, I don't know uh, how to fix that other than this idea of a new creation Mm -hmm. that we're like just this idea that we're this next version of us. And I want to be the next humblest version of Bob. And that can involve saying, I'm sorry to some people that I've let down or hurt along the way or, and not demanding. And I'm sorry from somebody else who's either let me or you down or broken our hearts, but to just realize that they're wounded and, Just trying to make their way forward just like we are. Um, But that's probably where that compassion grows. It's easy to do that when you've been loved well. Um, I think if you've been, if you've experienced, I mean, we're all amateurs at loving each other. But if you've experienced somebody who's played in the major leagues and has loved you well, then that's somebody. Oh, Don Miller. He's one of the guys that uh, is in that category for me. He's loved me well. And because he's loved me well, maybe some of the people I've let down relationally, um, I can forgive myself. Maybe I can find the courage to ask for forgiveness. Um, I think on our last day here on earth, I don't know if it'll be in a bed, in a field. I don't know. But on our last few moments, there's room for about eight people around you. Nine if they're thin. And, uh, <laughs> so what I've tried to do is think who would the eight people I'd want around my bed be. And Dawn's one of them. I've surrounded myself with people who have loved me well. And so what I'm trying to do now is say, as to those eight people I'd want there on the last day, I just, uh, I want to surround my life with them now. And, uh, And so maybe that would be such a great practical thing for you or maybe some of the people that are listening to do just send a text message to, you know, the people, if you only got four, that means you got room for growth. But just like send a text message to those people and say, you'd be one of the eight people. Tell them you're feeling terrific or they'll freak out. Just say, <laughs> you'd be one of the eight people and then surround yourself. And then those eight will change over time, right? New people yeah. come into your life. And uh, you don't have to vote the other one off the island, send them a text, say you're out of here. But, <laughs> but just uh, send the new ones a text and say, you know, you'd be one of the eight. And it's not manipulative at all. It's just wise Hmm. to let people know because then you'll know and they'll know because I've gotten that kind of message from a couple people. Perhaps you have. And I didn't realize that I was one of their eight. And it just helped me to understand that role that I might play in their life. Uh, And it usually it isn't a role because they want more information Hmm. from me. I think they just want to be loved. And so I'm just trying to do the best I can and failing constantly. But that's the beautiful idea. If you see yourself as a new creation, just say, okay, next humblest version of Bob. Let's get that guy out." That's what Maria's hoping. She's hoping I'll come home today as the next humblest version of me.
2: Wow. That may be the most fascinating and, and provocative perspective I've gotten to hear on Heartbreaker Read About It ever. Um, and I, and I really, really appreciate it. It, it it's funny because people ask me where my questions come from. I'm like, I'm battling out my own demons here on the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, we all are. There's a beautiful set of paintings. Go get them. You can get them for a buck and a half. Uh, Thomas Cole is the artist from the 1800s, and uh, they're in the Smithsonian. And it's called The Voyage of Life. And it's just a series of four paintings. And the first one is this uh, young infant in a canoe. And there's this kind of angelic being in the canoe. And there's an hourglass on the front in this calm river that they're on. The second painting is this kind of young man, maybe like, I don't know, 30s or so. And he's launching out in this angelic beings kind of on the shore saying farewell and he's going down this calm river but what he doesn't realize is that the river hangs aright and uh, And the uh, third painting predictably is a guy in his 40s or 50s he's got a canoe full of all this junk he doesn't need and the hourglass, even each painting is a little bit lower and and he's going through this treacherous time in his life and I think each of us can identify with that, you know, that childlike faith where you just didn't need a canoe full of all this stuff, relationships, everything was simpler. And then the the next version, that guy in his 30s, like guy three in his 30s, like launching out. And then, I don't know if it's guy four or guy five in his 40s or 50s. I'm 56. I'm guy five. Because you know what? The last painting in that series is this guy, I don't know if he's guy eight in his 80s or guy nine in his 90s, but he's out in this calm ocean. There's no more hourglass. His em- canoe is empty. Oh, that'll be the best buck and a half you ever spent. Get those things. And, and then just keep looking at that and say, which guy am I? Which gal am I? Right. I don't know, even know what mentoring is. I think that's just guy three talking to guy two about guy four, right? <laughs> so say I want to be the next humblest guy. I want to be a guy that will continue to learn to be receptive. It's not that we have no backbone. It's just we're not trying to win fights anymore. We're not trying to build consensus anymore. We're trying to build a kingdom based on love. And that will change everything because then you're not trying a bunch of people trying to like out-talk each other or correct each other because I can't afford it. <laughs> Our words are costing way more than we uh, understand they're costing us. Mm-hmm. And that practice of $500 at a time has been super helpful for me to see just how costly those might be in my relationships. Um, so that's just all what you're hearing is guy five. And you know the crazy part? I spend most of my time talking to guy six because you know who guy six he's a grandpa if my kids will have kids want to make hoodies that say make people but someday <laughs> my kids are going to have kids and you know who guy six is he'll be a grandpa and he's just going to spend all of his time with his grandkids that's me that's the biggest and that's the highest ambition I could ever have it won't be starting another school or doing this or that. It'll be pouring into the lives of the next generation as their guy or gal one or two or three tell these women they have power, that the words they say influence us. And even in the w- women that are around us, weep, weep, are kind of old-fashioned, but we stand up when women walk in the room. You just like there's something beautiful about honoring the people that are around you. And uh, I don't know, there's a lot of people that want to, Uh, like, you know, change the whole world. And what if you just do that? That's half of the world right there. And just find little ways to let people know how valued they are. I don't know. I'm learning all this. This is (laughs) five you're talking to
2: in this whole trajectory of your life. Have there been any sort of just absolute rock bottom dark night of the soul moments? Uh, and if so, how did you come out of them?
1: I had, There was a there's a red light district about probably 10 hours south of Mumbai, India. And uh, this red light district had never been uh, raided. Nobody had ever given these brothel owners a problem because the police were complicit in what they're doing. And so uh, this is many years ago. And we were in there and had located 14 little minor children that were held by these brothel owners and uh a raid was done got the kids and the judge released one of the children back to her parents and i'm like that's nuts because their parents were the one that sold her there in the first place so we drove probably a hundred miles to this village where this little girl was supposed to be with her parents and when we got out of the car this guy came at me with a knife and i'm like oh it's one of those kansas like we're a long way from home and uh And it turns out the brothel owner had just repurchased this girl for 40 bucks. And so we got back in the car and there's something that happens when you have some skin in the game, when you have like, this is like not a statistic or a kid. This feels like your kid. Now this is your daughter. And so we went back in and we didn't go in ourselves this time. We sent these Indian investigators who work for us in, uh, because they would have recognized us and the, uh, one of these investigators called on his cell phone. He says, help me. There's a mob because they had figured out he's with us. And and so we charge in there with our car. And, <laughs> oh, my gosh, we're everybody's slugging everybody. I was just trying to get the guy. There's 300 bad guys. And we're just trying to get this guy back in the car. And they were mad because a bunch of these brothel owners had been arrested. And this is like your, you know, you uh, know. Every window in the car explodes and these people had picked up rocks and they actually stoned us. Like, not not like high school version. They actually stoned us. And we, uh, I jumped into the front seat of this car to find the keys and the driver had split and took the keys with us, with him. And I just would say that was probably one of the most isolated, loneliest moments uh, in my life. Cause I felt like I was, if you ever felt like you were trying to do good, I mean, you just had good things for people in mind uh-huh. and it just gone really, really bad. And we, uh, uh, one of these investigator had run two miles to where the police station was and Uh, He's riding back on the back of a motorcycle with one policeman. There's 300 bad guys there throwing rocks at us. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're going to get mugged, too. But the police are just ruthless in India and everybody scatters. Well, we end up in an Indian jail. Wow. Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, this is like so nuts. So I think I've had a bunch of things that have gone okay, and I've had a couple things that have gone right, but here's the thing that has been kind of driving me. Like, I just don't think we're defined by our successes or our failures. Like, if we succeed at something, that doesn't mean we're a winner, and if we fail at something, it doesn't mean we're a loser. It just means, you know, that happens. It's what happens next, That's where you go. Like, so what happens next? The class I teach every other year, at Pepperdine Law, is on success and failure. And I just bring in people who have succeeded and failed in front of everybody on earth. I just, I never tell anybody who's coming in. I just bring them in and they start telling their story. They're like, oh my gosh, you're that guy. And there's something beautiful again that happens when we realize with that that community of eight – that we surround ourselves with, that were not our big failures. I just, I think uh, I've never felt more kind of isolated, that dark night of the soul experience than that. But I've also felt that in relationships when I've let people down. Uh, and I've done that often. You know, I'm not on purpose, but when I let somebody down, there's that aching feeling that I just like totally blown it. Um, and I think that yeah, some of that is... Uh, maybe where we come from. Wouldn't you say that most of us are either a reflection of or reaction to the people who've been closest to us? Yeah, and I'd so, agree with that. All right, so I, I go to the deep south and I start saying y'all. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not from the south, but I start saying y'all, not because I'm trying to fake it. I just, they say it, so I start saying it. And but, so I end up reflecting that, but also I'm a reaction to some things in my life, some people that have caused me hurts. But what I want to be is a beautiful reaction. You know, that's what's changed in me. That's that quarter of a twist change where instead of reacting and thinking of myself as the victim, I just say I want to be a beautiful reaction to that. And some of that has given me the strength to go to people that I've hurt to say, could you find a way to forgive me? Even the people that I work with, if I say something sharp, like it's not a very long uh, wait before I come to them and I just ask for forgiveness. I'm like, I said that I can't believe I did. I got to transfer 500 bucks or more now, but I also need to just ask for forgiveness. And there's been something I think I can do that because I want to be a reaction to people who haven't done that in my life? I'm not holding a grudge against them. I'm just saying, how could I be a beautiful reaction to that? We don't have to have these black arm bands and speak with militancy, just speak with resolve and love.
3: Hmm.
1: And so, and because I'm fortunate enough to surround myself with these beautiful people around here that I work with, then I can do that. Like we're, I'm a hugger, like everybody gets a hug. I hug judges, I hug policemen, everybody. But I don't hug these people that work with me because it would be so weird (laughs) because we'd always be hugging. Instead, I just like give them these little blessings. I just put my hand on their head. It's like duck, duck, goose around here. And like, what if we just do that? I don't even know what they mean. I just like, there's nothing mystical or magical. I just say like, just good on you like just there's something about pausing for a moment and just giving acknowledgement and like just that moment uh, between people that work together. I don't know. Try it at work. It'll blow your mind. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing. You know-
2: let's let's shift gears a little bit um, it's interesting at the beginning of our conversation you said something that I knew would you know require a, a lot of conversation just because it, to me it, it's one of the deepest parts of the entire interview and to, to some degree maybe we've been talking about it the entire time uh, you mentioned this idea of the difference between what you're able to do and what you are made to do and the question is why so many people Live their lives only doing what they're able to do or inside that gap between those two things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I said, probably um, just being afraid to fail. Uh-huh. You know, you don't want to mess up. I remember my first day of law school. It was I got home and when they were, they said, Welcome to law school. And then they said, Every third chair is going to be empty we're going to flunk out a third of this class. And I started counting, you know, from each aisle inward. And I was always a third guy. And I, I just thought, you know, I'm going to fail at this. And it's going to be so embarrassing. And I really wish I'd never even tried because, man, this is just going to be humiliating when they kick me out of school here in five or six weeks. And, uh, and then I thought of the people that I've experienced, who've experienced failure, and they just didn't be, seem to let it define them. Hmm. So I think of that idea of not being uh, afraid of messing up and, and having a couple people around you that will remind you of who you are. We have little mirrors. We hold them up around the house. I know it sounds so dorky. But what if we just hold up a mirror and tell people who they are? Like, this is what I see in you. And it isn't this big prophetic religious experience. It's just, let me tell you about how kind you are and how generous you are. Now, I've got a red plate. Do you have one of those at home that says I'm very special today? Right? I don't. but That doesn't mean I'm special. It just means sweet Maria spent 20 bucks on a plate. But you know what makes me special is her holding up a mirror and saying, Bob, let me tell you who I see you becoming. Because we spend so much time talking about who we used to be. What if the narrative is, this is who I see you becoming. If you're around me a lot, you know I carry, it's kind of eccentric, but I carry around medals with me in my pocket. Isn't that great? You can get like a thousand of them for a nickel. But we just, we, I have these medals they, and I just give people medals. Like, what if the people that, I just say you're awesome And I give them this medal I, You know, there's something beautiful When you just say I think our friends ought to be walking around Looking like the Joint Chiefs of Staff They ought to jingle when they walk But just give them medals Give a little kid a medal and say Man, that was like the kindest thing I've seen anybody do in a week Like, oh, you, oh it'll just remind you Of who you are And it'll tell them who they're becoming You're that guy And each of us has had someone in our life that said, you're that gal, you're that guy. And somehow their words linger. That's, oh, there's something beautiful like that. I live uh, on the bay here in San Diego and people drive by and some people know where I live. And what's really creepy and funny is that they'll talk about me from the boat. But what they don't realize is I can hear them. Because their voices carry over water. Isn't that crazy? They'll say the funniest things and I'll be like, oh my gosh, so awkward. But I think humble voices carry. And what if we set out to have our lives carry, our words carry in, in other people's lives? So somehow people that speak into your life, the right people speak into your life and you're willing to do those things that you feel like you were made to do. And you're not just stuck doing what you're able to do anymore. So I think a couple voices in your life, and it isn't just somebody blowing sunshine at you, saying you're so good when you're not. Like if somebody told me I'm so good at the banjo when I'm not, I I would discount, I'd divide everything else they had to say by the biggest number I could think of. And I can think of big numbers. What I'm trying to do is say authentically see things and call it out from them. One of these, uh, there was a... uh, guy named Peter that messed up big time. And he said he didn't even know Jesus. And instead of Jesus calling him a wuss, he said, you're a rock. I love that. I mean, like he saw who he was turning into. So what if we're that guy for people? Just say, I see you turning into this person. And you know, the crazy part is we're all turning into love. Isn't that crazy? What if you said, if somebody said you update your resume and say, what's your career objective? And you say, I'm trying to become love with, <laughs> I don't know if you'd get the job or not, but it would be worth having a conversation about. Don't you think?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, okay. So two final questions, uh, this is about a quote from the book and this is probably my favorite quote from the entire book. I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me, but now I'm afraid, more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Uh, in fact, it was, I'm sure I've used that somewhere in my own work. Uh, how did you make that shift internally and how do other people?
1: Yeah, it's like having shelf. Like, uh, do you know much about your like great grandfather? Not really. Yeah. Like I got a nickel that's older than mine and, uh, I know. I heard something about he was a sheriff, or I don't know, and he lived in Montana, maybe. And but that's about it. I just told you probably more than I know about him. And I, and here's he a person and he lived their whole life, and they had happy moments, times when they were just belly laughing and deep tragedy in their life and everything in between. They fell in love, probably. They, they had some kids, no doubt, <laughs> apparently. They, they just, you know, they lived their whole life. And I've got one or two words about them. And so I would just not want to have somebody a couple generations from now say, tell me about your great grandfather, Bob, and have them say, uh, he was a lawyer, and that was it I'm like what I literally I will reincarnate myself like, that's all you could remember about me like I was a lawyer so what I've started doing is writing everything down and I'm trying to live a noteworthy life I'm not, no, not noteworthy so like Billy will think I'm a swell guy I just want to live a life that is so engaged that it's worth taking notes about like this girl that got into law school today I don't, I've never even met her and, but I'm going to meet her next week. I get to invite and welcome all the first-year law students to school. I get to say, this. it's just going to be terrific to be a lawyer. And, and that will just give them a couple thoughts. I don't have any information to give somebody, but just a couple thoughts. And they'll no doubt involve loving people well. And they'll no doubt involve being like, we'll be remembered like – for our love, we'll be known for our opinions, we'll be remembered for our love. And like, what do you want to be remembered for? And I want to be remembered for that guy that was just mischief, was right around the next corner. And to say like, come on. And the guy that would like go to people, uh, we, uh, uh, we can deal, all this idea about whimsy and all that doesn't mean you deal with things that aren't tough. We try death penalty cases in Uganda against witch doctors that sacrifice children. So that, I can't think of anything heavier than that. And these guys are, you know, these are bad, bad guys, but I'm trying to love people I don't understand. And so now when I go to Uganda, I send out word on the Bush radio that the consul general is coming to Gulu and I command every witch doctor to come and meet me in the king's hut and you know what's creepy is they come and hundreds and hundreds of these guys and some of them make little dolls that look like me and stick pins in them, it's nuts and I, but I've been asking these guys, I've just learned their names and instead of telling them and scaring them and all that, I've just learned their names and you know when I asked the new head witch doctor because the other guys now Uh, uh, not around. I said, what do you guys need? And he said, you know what? We don't know how to read or write. And so we started a witch doctor school and we teach these bad guys how to read and write. That's it. Like we're just, there's no other agenda. Just teach them how to read and write, give people what they need. And you know, the one who's getting the most out of it is me because I'm trying to love these people that I don't get. And you know the crazy part? They're not sacrificing children anymore because somebody told them who they're turning into. Somebody said, you're not that guy anymore. You used to be that guy. You're not that guy now. And I I took these guys up on a ropes course. We found one that's 60 feet up in the air. And I take these witch doctors up and I unclip them and I give them a push. (laughs) They're like, stop pushing me. And I'm like, stop scaring people. Because like, this is how everybody feels when they're around you. They're so frightened of you. And these these people that used to be bad guys now see themselves in a way that I see them. I see who they're becoming and not like all this stuff in their past. And are there consequences? Yeah. But one of the consequences isn't that we're removed from grace. We're not, we don't need to be divided from each other. So this idea of doing things that last, I mean, instead of touting a bunch of successes like just do a couple things that are meaningful and they usually start with people it starts with learning their names and not correcting them but just loving them and starting like where we started in this conversation start with people who creep you out start with the people that aren't easy to love and start easy just get to know who they are and then as you get to know who they are tell them who they're becoming Oh, man, it'll change everything. It'll wreck your career. You'll, you'll probably stop doing what you're doing. Change constantly. Say, this is my last podcast. I'm going to become the next version of me. Right? Maybe. Who knows? You might be. You might say, I'm able to do these things all day long. You know what I'm made to do is and then find those eight people and say, ask them, who am I becoming? Get eight mirrors. Just say, I know this sounds crazy, but tell me who you see. Oh man, it'll change everything Wow Wow.
2: Uh, Well Bob, this has been incredible I I literally could sit here and talk to you for like 10 hours
1: You are so kind to just even take an hour to speak to me I don't know where we're even going But it's just (laughs) two friends talking on the phone And that's the way it's supposed to be Yeah. I don't think, most of the people that were teaching me Didn't think they were teaching me They just thought they were my friend Mm-hmm. And then I ended up learning everything from them. So thanks for what you're doing and, yeah. and appreciate it.
2: Well, I have one last question, which is how yeah. we wrap all our interviews with the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
4: Oh, wow.
1: Well, you know what? It's a, a person who, uh, instead of planning to be a big deal, it's like planned obscurity. Those are the people that are unmistakable to me, a life of planned obscurity. Yeah. The people that just are quietly out there doing their thing and you and I don't even know their name yet. But Mm -hmm. when we meet them, they'll change everything because we said they just wanted to not make a big deal about it. They just wanted to love people quietly and consistently. So that makes them unmistakable in my mind.
2: Mm. Well, like I said, this has been phenomenal, and uh, I I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to join us and share your story and, and your journey with our listeners at The Unmistakable Creative.
1: So great talking to you. Have a great day.
2: Yeah, you too. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming?
5: Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
0: Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? What if you could turn that fear into creative fuel?